tell you, I wear that the badge of Grandpa with pride. It's one of the greatest things in the world. Praise the Lord. You can turn your Bibles. Um, actually, I'm going to have you hold off on that for just a moment. We're going to be in several places. We're going to look in Psalms and First John and a couple of different places. <clears throat> so last week we started um, started a, a new uh, short series on finding God's purpose in our lives that that I'm calling straight on till morning. And of course, you know, I took that from Peter Pan. It was Peter's instructions to uh, Wendy Darling and her brothers of how they would uh, reach Neverland. That uh, in order to get there, you just went, uh, went towards the second star on the right and headed straight on till morning. And um, so this morning, I want to start looking again or continuing to look at the, the, this whole idea of discovering God's purpose in our lives. And last week, we talked mainly of why it's so important that we discover and fulfill God's purpose. Because it's only in doing that that we will, um, that we actually can experience the abundant life that Jesus, uh, the Father, has for us and intends for us to experience. I can remember as a kid, um, my dad talking about one of his uncles. And uh, I don't actually, it was on my grandma Sanders' side of the family. It wasn't uh, on my grandpa's. I believe, but he talked about his uncle, and he, he used to tell me this, and some of it I think it was because he knew that I was running from a call myself, but he used to, he talked to me about that, he says, you know, I had an uncle that was, uh, felt the call to ministry when he was in his late teens, and, and rejected it. He said, you know, that, he is the most, he was the most unhappy man I had, I have ever met. He said, you know, that the more you run from God's call, the less happy you will be. And there is, there is truth in that. The more we find ourselves in the center of God's will and, and living according to his purpose for our lives. Now, I'm not saying that every one of you has a, a call to full-time ministry like my great uncle did, but, but, uh, but rather that each one of us has a distinct and unique purpose purpose that God has set aside for us to do. And if, and if you don't believe that, I really think you should read that, read that book, uh, Dying Out Loud. It is a powerful book on finding God's purpose for your life and fulfilling it. And uh, so again, I suggest that you read that if you haven't already. But to get back to where we were going, last week we talked primarily about the importance. And this morning I want to actually talk about, to a certain extent, the practical side of actually discovering God's purpose. Because in reality, a large number of people, of believers, Christians, really struggle with this concept of finding God's will for your life. And, and frankly, it can be a little daunting when you begin to think about it, that God has this thing for me to do. And, and we were told, not only does God have this thing for you to do, but he has this thing that only you can do. You are the only, the only person to do this thing for him. He has this distinct and unique purpose. And that can be a little daunting when we begin to think, how in the world do I find that? And, we, and to a certain extent, a lot of times the directions that we get seem a little bit like Peter Pan's whole, you know, second star from the right and straight on till the morning and you look at the sky and go, okay, there's a lot of stars there. 
which one is the second star from the right? I mean, which one do I start counting from? Do I start counting there? Do I start counting here? And so that's really kind of what I want to start with, start looking at this morning. And the reality is that some people, I'll, I'll be honest, I've known some people that finding God's will for their lives is bondage. It has become a form of bondage. They're so consumed and so confused and so, you know, befuddled by this idea of finding God's purpose that it actually turns into bondage. And we know that that's not God's will because the scripture says what about Jesus? He sets it when we're set free by Jesus, we're what? It says we're set free indeed. We are truly set free. So we know that God intends us to live in freedom and that he doesn't intend for us to live in this state of, and also in this state of confusion. And, and, and yet sometimes we consider that, okay, so God has this thing for me to do. It seems, you know, when I look at the world, there's all these vast possibilities. Okay, God, what is it you want me to do? Do you want me to be a missionary? Some of you won't even ask him that, will you? Because you're afraid of what he might answer. Do you want me to be a missionary? Do you want me to, what do you want me to do? You, you know, what, 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 what can it be? How many, do any of you guys remember more of Jesus Fellowship? They used to uh, worship here in our building a number of years ago. Anyone remember them? Do you remember? Ran into Cornelius. He was one of the one of the guys there, and he was talking about he's for years run a ministry of helping um, ex felons, ex convicts, or prisoners kind of get back into life, finding them employment and making sure that they don't end up back in prison. You know, so some. That's, that's been one of the things that God has called him to do. It's been one of the purposes, God's purposes for his life. So you, and you look at it, there's just so many possibilities. Maybe you're the guy in, in Australia who goes out on his lunchtime, you know, and hands out gospel tracts on the streets for years who, you know, that was his purpose. He, he had, the greatest, the great part of that story was that he had no idea how he was fulfilling God's purpose and to what extent he was fil- fulfilling God's purpose. You know, they, they went back and they found multiplied, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because of that one man's witness. And he had no clue while it was happening. So sometimes looking at this whole idea of finding God's purpose is a little bit look, like looking at the night sky and saying, yes, yeah, second star from the right. It just seems like there's so many possibilities. Think about it. There's so many things that you can do in this world for God. I know someone here that someone was prophesied over in this place. We were laughing about that the other day, weren't we, Wendy? <laughs> Finding God's purpose can be difficult. It, it can be confusing, and we know that it's not meant to be because we don't find Scripture to, to support that. God's not the, you know, the Scripture says God's not the author of what? Confusion, of befuddlement. And yet sometimes we feel that. And so this morning I want to start looking at some of the practical steps of finding God's purpose for your life. So anytime that you want to get somewhere, there's two things that you need to establish first. Anyone want to take a stab at what they are? Anytime you want to get somewhere, there's two things you have to establish first. Trick question. What was that again? Where are you going to start? Where are you going to end? Now, here's the thing. You really should do them in the other order. It's where do I end? Where, what am I, where am I going? And then where am I now? Where am I starting? 
And really, that you have to establish those two things. Where am I going and where am I now? And then I can plot the course between the two. Now, here's the interesting thing. Most, most of us, how do we get somewhere nowadays when we're going to go somewhere? We, put you, we punch it into the phone, don't we? We punch it into our GPS. Or those of us who are really old school, we open up a map. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> The reality is, do you know that before GPS, people actually still got places? I mean, sometimes I think about it. I mean, think about this. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, people got in wooden boats and sailed from one side of the ocean to the other and actually got where they wanted to go. Think of how daunting that would seem. But the reality is, is that there's actually simple methods. And now, again, I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying this, but, but there are actually simple navigational methods of being able to find your way without GPS, without, you know, without punching it in and asking Google, how do I get there? She didn't ask a question. <laughs> But there, the, the reality was that even hundreds of years ago, they could do that. And they did that by first finding something that they knew to be fixed. There was, that was, that if you're in the northern hemisphere, that's true. If you're in the northern hemisphere, the North Star, also called Polaris, and, and those of you who have taken astronomy, please don't laugh at me or, or correct me until later. You can correct me later. I guess the North Star is always within one degree of the celestial North, North Pole. That's where it always is. So if you can find the North Star in the sky, and you can, but it's only visible in the Northern Hemisphere, I think, then you know that that is, at the most, should be one degree from the celestial North Pole. So that means if you're, the angle between, if that star is 10 degrees from you, you're about 10 degrees north of the equator, somewhere in that ballpark. <laughs> but it's actually, the instruments, I guess, are, it's fairly easy using the horizon and different things to judge it. It seems like, boy, that seems hard, but it's, it's, I guess it's really not. People would find, in, in the, the think about the, the ships and all that. They, in fact, if you look up the history of navigation, what you'll discover that the history of navigation is really the history of sailing, seamanship. Because that's, that's when people really needed sense of d that direction the most. Was, I mean, and you think about it. It's, have any of you ever been on, flown over the ocean at all? I, I've only, like, kind of gone out to come back in so to speak I've never actually crossed the ocean but you know people talk about that who have flown over the ocean when it's when it's um, clear out and you literally all you see is water yeah there's nothing there's no points of reference and so think about how difficult and how daunting a task it seems to have been. Throughout this, as long as those sailors could find a given celestial body, and then people had created these charts of where that 
particular star is on this day at this time. And so they would know that this star is positioned at this point over the earth on March the 5th at 1 a.m. or whatever it happened to be. Obviously taking, it, you know, taking a, a shot at the stars is easier to see at night. And so they would then, because they knew where that was right now, they could then figure out where they were. And so I would say that when we begin to look for purpose in our own life, the first thing we need to do is to find something that we can determine is a fixed point of reference. What is the one fixed point of reference in our world? Now the reality is this, is what God has called me to do, the purpose that God has for me and the purpose that God has for Mike are two different things. And so I can't use Mike's purpose to help me find where I'm going. But I can use God's purpose. There is one fixed point of reference for us as we begin to look for God's purpose in our lives, and that's God's purpose for us in this world. Fortunately, we can find that. It's been determined for us in God's word by God himself. So really what we need to establish first before we can find out what our purpose is, that direction that we need to go, we need to discover God's purpose for mankind in general. That's that fixed point of reference. So why are we here? Why did God create us? You ever think about that? Why did God create us? And we, we've been told by, by many people that God created us for relationship, and I believe that to be true. But why did God create us to have relationship for us? Was he lonely? I mean, think about it. Was God lonely? Before he created man, did God have any company? He had lots of company. So God, God didn't create us because he was lonely. So you can move on. Did God create us because he needed us? That one's kind of laughable when you really start thinking about it. Did God need, did, does God really need me? No, he doesn't. The God of the universe doesn't need us. We'll get there. In fact, Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3 and 4 says this, and this is the words of David, and it's, it, they're familiar words. He says, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Did God need us? No, he didn't need us. He, we weren't necessary for God's existence. He existed before we, before we did. And yet for some reason, God chose to create us. Why did he do that? And this is something, again, this is one of those things that can be kind of difficult to wrap your head around. But the fact of the matter is, is that God created us because he loved us. And when I, say, when I say it's hard to wrap your head around, it's hard to wrap your head around because God loved us before he created us. God created us because he loved us. Now for us, we have difficulty grasping loving something that doesn't exist yet. Right? It just doesn't seem quite right. I can remember my son Andrew, after not long after uh, Elizabeth was born, he, he posted something on Facebook and it was something, it was typical Andrew writing, you know. He said, it took a little while 
Desiree and I dated, and we got to know each other. We knew each other for, for close to four or five years. And then we got married, and she became very poor, a very important. But it took a while for her to become an important part of my life. But when Elizabeth showed up, she was instantly an important part of my life. And so we can grasp oftentimes even loving something the instant they exist. And I remember that. It was like that with all of our children. You know, when they're born, you instantly love them in a way that is kind of indescribable. It was the same way with Elizabeth. The, we walked into that, to the room in the middle of the night that, you know, last July or June, rather. And it's like you instantly love that little bundle intensely. And, and we understand that, but to wrap our heads around that God loved us even before we existed. Jeremiah, there's a scripture that says where the prophet is speaking for God to Israel, and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Now, when you hear the word everlasting, you tend to think of something that what? It begins, and then it lasts forever, right? It just goes on forever. That's, in our head, that's the, that's the meaning. But that word that is translated there in Hebrew is something much different than that. It's actually just different. It actually has a meaning of perpetualness that it means always. See, there's a difference between something that has a start and goes on forever this way. Because you can find an end. There's an end where it starts. God's love is always. You can't, you can't go back far enough to find a place where God didn't love you and I. So God chose to create us because he loved us. He created us. That was his motivation. He created us because he loved us. I think, you know, sometimes I think, I think maybe the the closest I can come to it in a, in a human sense is an artist who creates an artwork, his artwork, because, because he or she loves it, even though it's not there yet. They love that, that even just the idea. They, they, that's the closest I can come. But God loved us. He created us because he loved us, and he loved us before we existed. So he created us for a relationship, not because he was lonely, not because he needed us, but because he loved us. That changes things. I believe that that changes things. See, God, not, he didn't need us, he wanted us. He wanted us. You know one of the things I think, I've, one of the saddest stories I ever heard was there some friends of ours, Bob and Brenda Miller, who over the years had literally hundreds of foster children. And over the years, they adopted, I think, 14 of them. They had four children that were born to their family in the normal way, and four children, they said, what they would tell you, they were born in a divine way. They're both divine, but the divinely in the, in the not divinely natural way. One of those children that they adopted came to them because they were adopted as a baby. And around about six or seven years old, 
the lady miraculously got pregnant. And they had a they had a child and like two years later they, she got pregnant again and they decided they didn't want that little boy. Can you imagine at nine years old being told you weren't wanted anymore? What most, I mean, what a, an unbelievably sad thing. See, the power of wanting, someone wanting us is it's 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 powerful. And that's what makes the fact that God created us, his purpose for creating us, his desire was driven by the fact that he wanted us, he loved us even before we existed. And so that's why God created us. That's why he created this whole ball we walk on because he loved us. And then there was a problem. So the world was great. The world was great. He created, you know, what we call the Garden of Eden, what we've termed, called the Garden of Eden. You know, the world was the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like there was just this one spot, right? Sometimes, I know as, as a kid, I, that's the picture I got in my head. There was this one place on earth which was the Garden of Eden. The reality is the entire earth was the Garden of Eden. The entire earth was the Garden of Eden. I know as a kid I decided that Adam and Eve could fly. I thought, you know, why not? Everything else was perfect. What could be more perfect than being able to fly? Still waiting for my flying car, by the way. I read about it in Popular Mechanics, in an old Popular Mechanics, and before I was even born. They were saying they were going to be here long, long ago. There was the Garden of Eden, and he brought, them, and the world was perfect, and, and he created them because he loved them, and he wanted them to have this wonderful place to be, and where he would fellowship with them. And then, unfortunately, sin broke that relationship. Sin broke that relationship. You see, because relationship with God, this true relationship with God, meaning his presence, requires sinlessness. Why? Because God's character is holy. He is holy. He cannot, his, his character cannot tolerate sin in his presence. We know that because of the storybook of the Old Testament. So when sin broke the relationship with God, a veil had to be erected. Do you know that, why was the veil erected in the temple? Why was the veil around the holiest of holy places, that place now that God's presence exists, uh, dwelled? Was it to protect God? It wasn't to protect God. It was to protect us. In fact, if you think about this, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he did so for their own good. It's hard. It, sometimes we, when, when you look, in fact, when you look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and they, you know, they eat the apple and all that and God kept, kicks them out, what do you see? Do you see judgment or do you see grace? It's grace. Sometimes on the surface it looks like judgment. Cursed is the ground. I was doing a little bit of reading. One guy said, do you ever wonder what the ground thought? Wait a minute. Why is God cursing me? It's that two-legged creature running around to cause a problem. Why is, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, 
small animals have to worry about being eaten by big animals. It's all because of, you know, two legs. Sometimes we look at that, we see judgment. The reality was is that God kicked them out of the garden for their own good because until we recognize our sin, we cannot ask for forgiveness. Until that judgment is brought, and that's the whole reason he gave the whole law, that's why the law existed, was to demonstrate man's sinfulness. Not to make us feel bad or just to give him a reason to, to uh, you know, throw us into eternal damnation, but rather to cause us to come to him for forgiveness. So sin broke that relationship. God had to cast man out of the garden. Otherwise, his sin would have destroyed him. It's clear. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. And so God's, because God's overwhelming purpose was that he created us because he loved us and then we broke that relationship, he had to bring, he had to actually bring judgment so that we could be restored. And so God created us because he loved us. We broke that relationship And then finally, God sent Jesus to restore that relationship. You're saying, where are you going, Pastor, with this? We'll get there. We're all familiar with the most well-known scripture in the Bible. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a toss-up between the one psalm and the one one verse in John, right? Is it Psalm 23? Is it? Doesn't really matter. John 3, you'll see it if you watch television this afternoon. You'll see the reference to it in the stands. For God what? So loved the world. See, God so loved the world that he couldn't allow sin to be the end. And that's the North Star. That's the North Star. When we need to begin to find that fixed point to find our purpose, first we need to find God's underlying, overarching bottom line purpose and that was he so loved the world that he desired for for all the world to be forgiven that that's the one fixed point and so in finding our purpose we start with God's purpose and at this point God's purpose is still relationship with mankind it's still so that mankind can enjoy his love and his goodness. And that means it necessitated Jesus coming to restore and to reconcile that relationship. And so in finding our purpose, we can start with God's and know that our purpose is never going to be far off from God's purpose. In fact, it can't be. So you start with that one fixed point. God so loved the world that he created it for relationship with him. And then because we messed things up, he had to send his only son Jesus to die and to to, to be our sacrifice, our propitiation. In fact, John in John chapter in first I think it's in first John, chapter one, verses four to nine four Boy, I, I monkeyed up the reference here in my notes. In this, the love of God, you'll find it if you look it up. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And there we find another one of God's purposes for us, to love each other. So finding his purpose, that's, that's ultimately fulfilling God's purpose is our purpose, right? It has something to do with his purpose. That's the where I'm going. And when we look at that, we can find out where we are. And that was really the, that was really the, the, the key thing. They, they knew or they, they established where they wanted to go. At a certain point, that meant they had some coordinates of where they wanted to end up. Then they had to determine where they were at that given point in time, and then they could map their course. And so when we look and we see that God, the end purpose is restored relationship for the world with God. And where am I right now? In order for me to get to that point, then I need to plot my course along that. So really, to find the star from which to, to count from is simply finding God's purpose for the world. And God's purpose for the world is relationship for him, with him, restored relationship with him. And so as we, as, as when you realize, begin to kind of frame it in those, general, in those terms, not general terms, but more in specific terms, when you begin to phrase it in those, then finding your relationship with them, and now, and we're going to talk about that in, in some, some, some days, in the next couple of weeks, about what that means for me specifically, and discovering what that means for me specifically. So now I find God's purpose. Now at least I know which star to go to right from. God's purpose is restored relationship, and is, is ultimately not just restored relationship, but relationship with mankind. And he did that because he loved us. Once we've, we've established that point, now we can begin to map how do we get there.